right. Here we are. Here we are. Episode 111. 111. That sounds kind of cool. Like 111. 111. Yeah. But it's it's not uh, anything special. It sounds like it could be special, but it's not special. It's I mean, it's a special. special. It'll be a special episode. This is a special episode with Scott oh, and Ollie. <laughs> oh, my God. What do they talk about? <laughs> what do they talk about? Child <laughs> abuse in, in, the, in the home. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa you took a left turn there, man. <laughs> well, that's that's the very special episodes were always like yeah. some big issue. It was like a yeah, yeah. very special episode of, of uh, you know, whatever it was. Sure. Yeah. You know, or, you know, very special episode of, of but, uh, you know, of Spencer. <laughs> you went with Laverne and Shirley. I went with the Spencer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But there was always some big social issue that they, that's what a very yeah. special episode meant. It meant it was like not going to be funny. It was going to be about something serious. Well, this was, it's, <laughs> I, I don't know. Is this serious? I, don't, I mean, we're always talking about serious stuff, but we always have that silly side, you know? <laughs> Definitely say it like that because yes. suicide. Little silly. By the, by the way, that silly person is Ollie and I'm Scott. And that's Scott and I'm Ollie. And I, I have to I think we should address, you know, the uh the silliness know, the in the room. The elephant in the room is that <sighs> Scott is a little under the weather, which is why yeah. if you're somebody who downloads these episodes on the regular that you're probably getting this a little late and you're like wondering what happened to Scott and Ollie. What happened? Scott well, happened. Scott is a little under the weather. And so yeah. he's a little cognitively, you know, hey stunted. We'll, <laughs> see. we'll see how that goes. And and he may break out into a sweat in the middle of this conversation. <laughs> Anything's possible. Anything's possible. <laughs> yes. He was he was drying himself off the show. <laughs> Wow, you're, yeah. you're really opening the kimono here. For, oh, I know. Just giving them behind the scenes. Letting them see it. <sighs> yes. All right. So, uh, you know, inspired by uh, Malcolm Gladwell's recent uh, revision history, um, you know, series, his, uh, I guess, what is it? Season three of revisionist history. He's focusing on like, m- like magic wand experiments. If you could do anything you wanted, like, what could you, what would you do? And so he's, he's asked all these researchers, like what kind of, if, if we could pull away, like, you know, any of like the actual constraints, ethical constraints, financial constraints, what would you do um, from a research standpoint? Um, we're not going to do that. Cause that, that's what his episode, but I like that concept of this magic wand thing. And so we've actually uh, thought of a, you know, a, a series of at least two or three episodes where we're going to do like magic wand, you know, thought experiments. Like what would we, if we could wave a magic wand, what would we do if we could change X? And so this week we're going to talk about teacher education. Like what would we do if we could wave a magic wand and change teacher education? And I mean, the, the reality is that you and I are well positioned to do this kind of work. It's just, maybe we don't have the magic wand or freedom to do yeah. that. Right. We don't have like the complete agency to make, you know, sweeping changes quickly. You know, well, the truth is these are big, complicated systems, so it's hard to make any kind of change in them. So any kind of drastic change is basically impossible. So you're always making sort of incremental changes. Um, So the question is, what we do if we could just say by fiat, here's how we would change the whole system. Yeah. Instead of magic one, what, uh, how would the world be different if Ollie and Scott were kings? That's how we should frame this episode. (laughs) Wow, that's terrible. Royal fiat. Are we are we, are we <laughs> philosopher kings at least? Yes. Well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, why, not? why not? So 
I think I think one of the things that I mean, so this is a conversation that's happening in lots of states. It's like, how do we change teacher education and teacher certification? And I think the one thing that folks want to do, I mean, some folks want to do, I'll say that, is just make reduce any of the barriers to teacher certification that anybody who has some degree of education. And I think that what that degree is may be different depending on where you are in the country um, that you should be able to become a teacher. Um, And I don't think you and I would do that. I mean, no. And I think, I mean, we definitely wouldn't do that, but I think the, the people that I think are mostly interested in that are, um, are superintendents, people who have to hire teachers and are really struggling right now to right. some some districts in particular, like really, really struggling to find teachers. And so they're they're willing to take people because they need human beings to do this work. So I think um, and they can only keep, you know, people emergency certified or short term certified, whatever, um, for short periods of time. And then they sure. have to let them go. So I think there is a, a massive shortage um, of teachers in general. And then I think in particular qualified teachers. So I think that there are um, that's that's some um, that's a reality that we have to that we have to consider. But I think part of the challenge is if you just start lowering the the expectations for what it takes to become a teacher, I think for, I would guess for superintendents, that's going to cause long-term problems for them. It's going to be very difficult to have a bunch of people who who don't have a lot of preparation and training just in these jobs doing them. Yeah. And I think that I come at it like with that, you know, the three-legged stool, you know, that teacher education is really a three-legged stool that they're, the one leg is around content. They have to have some sort of content knowledge and some some sort of content expertise. And that content expertise, you know, we can get that in, you know, various ways. You know, it could be a full degree in content area or it could be, you know, like a, you know, a minor or whatever. Um, but then there's this also this pedagogical piece, right? They have to have, that's the second leg to the stool is they have to have some knowledge of pedagogy. Like, you know, I think, you know, we've talked about the observation, you know, the apprenticeship of observation hundreds of times. Um, but I think that there's all this invisible work that happens that is outside of the apprenticeship of observation window, right? Mm-hmm. That they don't see the planning. They don't see the creation of assessments. Like if you're a student in a classroom watching a teacher teach, you're watching the performance. You're watching the thing that happens. And I use that term performance, but you're as it as it's like comparing it to like acting or theater or something. But we never really see all the stuff that happens that leads up to that. Right. Mm-hmm. And all of that stuff is really important. And it's it's the difference between seeing, you know, a unit or a school year as being 180 individual days and it being a whole complete storyline. Yeah. And I think that is the difference between somebody who's just going in and, and doing one off lessons and somebody who's like looking at the whole bigger picture and recognizing that there are intentional moves, intentional pedagogical moves that teachers have to make that impact the day to day and the month to month. And I think that's the stuff that we really have to dig into. Um, and the third leg is practice, practice, like actually getting out there and and having teachers teach and helping them develop and helping them go through this, you know, the stages of their career. And so you and I subscribe to this apprenticeship model, this this idea that teaching is an apprenticeship. Mm. And I think that that's the one big change that we would I would make is that it would be a longer apprenticeship rather than a shorter one. 
it would yeah. not be it would be something that you know essentially teachers teacher candidates would start apprenticing as teachers almost year one you know when they come into a school of education they would start right at the beginning in some way in some subcapacity and slowly taking on more and more responsibilities and this is all that Laban Wanger stuff that you and I are kind of steeped in is the idea that they would take on they would move from the periphery of of the practice to becoming more and more at the center of it and mm-hmm. yeah no i think that's right i think um that and just to clarify what we're going to try to do today is we're we're going to try to um basically create an idealized notion of what teacher education could be right so we're not going to um we're not going to worry about any constraints. We're not going to worry about logistical constraints. We're not going to worry about financial constraints. We're not going to worry about any other things that might make whatever we think is the ideal way to do teacher education. We're, we're not going to consider any of that in our choices. So I think, um, yeah, the idea that that it should be organic, an organic community um, process of learning how to teach and that there would be, um, you know, there would be teacher educators and practicing teachers and new teachers, um, beginning teachers, all sort of in a community together that are working to develop their own practice so that the, the people that are in the field already, the teachers that are already there can learn and grow and the new ones can learn and grow with them. And right. um, so that it is a, it's, it's a coherent and, um, you know, communal process that the, of learning that that involves all of those people simultaneously. So I think, yeah, that would be the ideal is that is that we have, um, you know, not not an apprenticeship in the old school notion of like one mentor, one apprentice, right but in a in a community notion of um, what that looks like. Yeah, I, I, I was on a middle school team at the beginning of my career. And I think that's the ideal for me is like, you know, when you get together and it was, you know, there's probably like eight of us that were on this team and it was awesome. And I think that was probably the, you know, we had weekly meetings and we'd get together. I mean, that's the model I I see as like having this sort of like group who comes together regularly and talks about practice and then observes each other teaching and like, are like saying, okay, here's, here's what this teacher did this great here's and that's everyone is learning and growing so it's not just a you know teacher education isn't this finite window of like okay you have your certification and you're done with education you know you're not done learning it's like an ongoing process that happens throughout the career and i think the other part that i'd like to see with that you know apprenticeship you know organic cultural thing is that everyone's getting paid you know like (laughs) I mean, I'm serious. Like, no, no, I know. Yeah. Like if you, cause I think about like, you know, other tra- trades, like if you were a, an apprentice plumber, right. You mm-hmm. were hired, you're paid, you know, you're not paid what a plumber is being play, paid, but you're pay, being paid something mm-hmm. as you go off and you're like, and the, and the apprentice plumber is like, okay, you're going to just work on this. I don't know, whatever this thing, it's not doing the big job, but it's doing right. some part that leads to the big job, right? Where you're developing mm-hmm. some sort of skill set or developing some sort of, you know, process that's going to get inch you closer to being able to do the whole house plumbing job, right? Well, I mean, that's what we should be doing with our teacher candidates. We should be, rather than saying, okay, 
you're coming in and basically unpaid labor, right? Right. You're unpaid, unpaid labor. Now, sometimes it's just observational, like at the beginning stages, it's observational, but like we're, we're telling them to pay for these experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is just bananas. Yeah. I mean, that's tricky. I mean, now we're going down the constraints route, but, um, but I do think, um, the tricky bit to that, and maybe this this goes to you know if we're going to talk about the idealized environment, right? Like there there should be for for that growth, ideal growth to happen, there needs to be a coach, uh, uh, an external expert, right? A person who's helping with that growth, and I think that's the role of teacher educators, right? Because I don't think, um, like eliminating teacher educators would make an ideal system. I think if, if we just had it as a true apprenticeship, like it is with plumbers um, where you just go work for a plumber. And at first you're just doing little jobs, you're running the truck and getting stuff. And then eventually you're fixing some minor stuff and right. Like teaching is a complex task and it requires um, it requires coaching and thoughtful practice that isn't just, I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, It requires a more analytical process. So I think there has to be somebody else helping with that work. So I think when we think about what what pre-service teachers are paying for, um, when they pay for their experience, is they're paying for um, someone to help them grow. Now, to the degree that they get what they pay for, I don't know. That's a complicated, much more complicated question. But they're not just being dumped into a classroom and saying, here, good luck. We'll, we'll see you in 15 weeks. Like there's somebody working with them who's supposed right. to be there to support them and help them grow and learn. Well, so I'm not think- suggesting that I'm not suggesting that the teacher educator that you and I are out of the picture at any, at any stage of this. I think if I'm, no, I'm- I didn't, it's just that you, you implied right. sort of that the experience, like they were paying to, to be a teacher. And I was like, yeah, that's sort of true, but what they're really doing is they're paying to have a coach while yeah. they're learning to teach. Um, and the degree to which that coach supports them is, you know, up for debate in various contexts. Some places they get a lot more support than others. But I do think um I do think teacher educators, both for for pre-service teachers and in-service teachers, are incredibly valuable because it is in, it's a and I know you think this too, but yeah. it's an incredibly difficult thing to learn to do. And having somebody there to help you to ask hard questions and help you think about new ways of conceptualizing what you're doing is one of the most important ways that you can grow. Yeah. So I I think it is critical that teacher educators have a role in whatever this new magic one teacher education system is going to look like i think it's critical that 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 you and i and people like us these really passionate knowledgeable teacher educators have the ability to to help teachers develop help teacher candidates develop and but i think it's got to be like you teach your class your methods class in the field you and i think that the divide between schools and schools of education have to get narrower. We got to close that gap. And you've done that by teaching your classes in the the classroom in the schools you serve. But I I don't know if that's a, again, we're uh, constraints. I don't know if that's a model that is going to work everywhere. Right. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it depends. Yeah. It depends in lots of ways on, um, I mean, yeah, you know, again, if, if what we're doing is trying to imagine the best, the best possible the, thing without worrying about constraint, then I would say, yeah, I think it, it, in almost every respect, it's the best, um, the best experience. I mean, my, I, I, I am utterly convinced that there's a, a, a substantive difference between the groups of teachers that have been gone to, to the middle school with me and learned in and with these other teachers and the students that I taught before that. Um, and not that those students, the previous group were bad or poorly prepared, but I think they, they did not have a real on the ground notion of what this stuff looks like. They just had me sort of saying, Oh, isn't this inquiry science teaching or isn't this ambitious science teaching or whatever does, isn't this sound great? And they say, yeah, it sounds great. And then they go out and they say, yeah, but the schools aren't doing it. Right. So it must not really be a thing. You're just talking about it. So I do think, um, yeah, the two world problem that we've talked about before between universities and schools is, is a real thing. And I think the only way to combat that is to get those communities more connected to each other and talking with each other directly. Um, and it, it's one of the only ways that you're, you're going to not only do good teacher education, but make school change. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how that's going to happen too. All right. So we have uh, the idea that we're going to, you know, teach classes in the schools. We're going to apprentice students. Uh, our teacher candidates by getting them out in the schools earlier and often and um, in teaching our classes out there scaffolded, you know, experiences where, you know, there's this apprenticeship and, and I'm still going to argue for paying them. Yeah. You know, I, think I think paying them is great. You know, because I think that if they're going to be offering a role in schools, um, not, I, I use the plumber model, but I don't want, I don't want to say that it's just about like, doing the craft and not learning to do the craft. It's a, it's about, you know, learning. No, I think, I think they're there. I don't disagree with you that they're doing work in the schools and that it's, it, it is more than reasonable to pay them for it. I think the tricky bit becomes a lot of the programs that have been developed to do that are like residency programs. And I have somewhat mixed feelings about residency programs. I mean, I think sometimes they're valuable and important, but, Typically, what a residency program is, is you take on a full-time teaching job so that you can get paid, yeah. um, and then you take your classes while you're full-time teaching. Well, I mean, that's hard, right? Because at least for the first year or two, the, that teacher is not as well-prepared, right? Because they're, they're, they're learning as they go. Um, so that I think is, is somewhat unfair to the students that they're teaching. Now, does that mean they're bad teachers? No, it probably doesn't. Um, and many of them may be really good teachers right out of the gate. But the point is like when you make that compromise to decide to pay teachers in that preparation, there's, there always seems to be a trade-off with it that, that I'm, I'm dubious about. Yeah, I was, I went through a residency based model. I was, I got an MAT and I would say my first year, the year I completed my master's degree was at times like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, And it, there were lots of times where I knew I was just, you know, getting by and it was a stressful, anxious year. Um, yeah. 
And I will say the other part about it was uh, while there, that was the same time I was on this middle school team, right. With, uh, in, you know, interns and also with teachers um, while it was really educational, I don't know what I have developed differently. You know, how would I, well, I definitely would have developed differently, but I don't know, um, you know, how that would have impacted, you know, my early years because I wasn't really observed, you know, I was just doing the job and I didn't right. get a lot of substantive feedback on the things I was doing or how I could improve. They just were like, okay, well, you're in this residency, you're off doing your thing. And I don't even know how we, like, I don't know how I met the PDE regulations, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> you know, cause we're supposed to have formal observations and I re- remember zero of them. I don't remember being formally observed by anyone that year, not once. That's and yeah. And, and I, yeah, just so that, I think that's, that's troubling because we need to have, you know, teachers be observed and we need to give them feedback on, on ways to improve. Yeah. And yeah, and I and I think you know maybe extending that a little, the idea that um, we if we were going to extend teacher education to mean all teacher preparation sort of things, you know, we talk a lot about induction, or people talk a lot about induction, which are the first three years after you graduate with your initial certification, are those year those first three years of teaching where you're sort of learning the craft and the job. I think those years could be modified too. I think if we were idealizing them, we would see those much more as a gradual sort of scaling up or apprenticeship where maybe the first year you're teaching a half load and you're getting, you know, ideally you'd still be getting full pay because you'd be taking that the other part of that load and doing work for your professional growth or to contribute in some other way. But it would allow you time to sort of get your feet under you and and understand because when you're a student teacher i think we all know this like you don't really get a handle on how the schools itself work and so you because you're just sort your mentor sort of shields you right. from that in a lot of ways so that first year of teaching a lot of what you're doing is figuring out like well how do schools even work what do i do like how do i how do I log into the grading program right. or how do I, I, I my copy code? How, right. how do I, you know, whatever, like all the dumb stuff that you have to do to, to operate in these big bureaucratic systems. So, um, so if we extended teacher education into that and said, look, well, those first three years should really be very different than they currently are. Instead of just dropping people into the deep end of the pool and saying, good luck. Um, say, yeah, let's be intentional about this. Let's have the first year be a lighter load, let people settle in, learn the craft, improve themselves, and then bring them up to speed and, and add more courses and more work. Yeah, but that's, I, you, you say about throwing them in the deep end. I would say in most middle school and high school environments, we don't just throw them in the deep end. We throw them in the deep end with the sharks, right? right. You know, not, because we often give the new teachers the hardest schedules sure, and, you know, with the, some of the most, you know, challenging students. And I don't mean to say that they're sharks. I'm just using following the me- the metaphor. Um, but w- we often, you know, seniority means that when, when a teacher, you know, with years of experience, they get like the, the easier schedules. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in a lot of ways, the people who have the most experience are have to use that experience less. Right. It's like almost more of like, well, I've earned, you know, working with the easier students. And then we throw the, 
the the and then we wonder why st- teachers burn out or they leave the profession right they're like because right. they've been working with like some of the most challenging students so students who you know have motivational needs or have additional educational needs or whatever yeah. and 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 they're learning how to work the you know how to work in the system, like learning how to like, you know, the copier code you mentioned the copy. Those are like real problems for brand new teachers. So I I like the idea that we extend that, that experience, that induction experience by giving them more time to work on their development, work on their craft by giving them a half schedule. And maybe then maybe, you know, year one, give them a half schedule and then year two, give them a three quarter schedule. And then year three, then they start taking on, I'm going to go the other way. The other end of it is that I think that if we're going to extend this teacher education experience, we don't just carry it into the first couple of years of teaching that in order to address some of the pipeline issues that we should start, you know, working with, you know, seniors and juniors in high school and saying, okay, maybe we do some dual enrollment courses, or maybe we look for some experiences because we're losing teachers we're losing t- people who are like after they come out of after they graduate from high school then they're like yeah you know what because we're I'll, I'll, I, we're losing some of our best candidates because they're getting into content area classes and they're getting you know actively encouraged out of the field hmm. right like yeah. we're because like they're, they're being told and you know i just read a research article someone shared this with me recently about how you know, really gifted, you know, students, especially in math and science are saying, well, like, if you're really gifted, why are you going to teach? Yeah. Why would you do that? Like, why would you teach? And this is something I certainly heard, you know, if I was really good at math and science, wouldn't I be doing something with math and science rather than teaching it, you know? And, and so I think that what we need to do is one way to address that. I mean, there are lots of ways to address it, and in, in, including throat punching some of our colleagues. <laughs> wow! Okay, <laughs> I that, just went that, there. Escalated quickly. <laughs> I know, but it's like it is absolutely like we should have our most gifted people teaching, right? Like that's like if you really know your content area, wouldn't you want to be the person that's like? Is the, you know, the person out there like really advocating and showing your and using your knowledge base to help somebody else learn that takes like some real deep knowledge of the content. Yeah. I mean, I I have this weird um, feeling of like, I'm about to talk about pedagogical content knowledge, which is going to make me feel very, very (laughs) uncomfortable, but, but you are almost going to like say something positive about it i think well it's it's possible <laughs> but uh, what what i was going to say is i all i think while i agree with that i think also like one of the things we know is is like some of the worst teachers i've ever seen are people who have phd's in their discipline who now come to teach high school right right and it's and they know their content deeply um so i think there i think it's a nuance that i want to a point I want to make here is you are walking this line so carefully without. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So there are different ways to know your content, right? And we've talked about that here, right? In that, like there, that fundamentally the way that we think about knowing science is much more about being able to explain real things, real phenomena in the world. And that is not typically what, um, what being successful in science looks like in high school and 
and college, right? Because you don't do that in, in high school and college. So, so I think, yes, we do. I don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that the people who are identified by, by the current system as being outstanding in math and science are the kinds of people that we want teaching science. Um, because I actually am not sure that's true. I think what we want is we want the people who understand science in a different, and I think what I would think of, and maybe you would think of as a deeper, more fundamental way, um, about explain, explaining phenomenon. Um, those are the kinds of people that can see that science isn't just a, a list of things or a set mm -hmm. of algorithms or a, you know, a body of knowledge that they can actually see it as a living discipline. Um, those are the people that we really want teaching. Um, so I want people who, um, who are great. I don't, I don't want, I, I don't want people, um, being told that teaching is a second choice if you're not good right. at something, because I think that's, that's terrible and incorrect. But I also don't think that just because you're good at science that I want you as a science teacher, because I think there's a lot of those people I just don't want as a science teacher. But I think that we need to uh, extend the experience, not just to the four years that someone's in a, you know, at college. I think we, we move into that induction being really strategic of how we, you know, build up a uh, brand new teachers and taking on more and more responsibility. But I think the other part about it is the other end of it. I, I really believe that we can better attract teachers to our field, better attract teacher, you know, students to our field by giving those, giving them experiences in 11th and 12th grade, whether it's, you know, through dual enrollment classes where they're taking some classes on campus and taking some classes back in, um, you know, back in their homeschools or giving them opportunities to be able to maybe work in, you know, elementary schools or work as tutors. I mean, that was the seminal experience for me. Mm -hmm. Tutoring, tutoring was it. Tutoring was the the thing that, you know, I was tutoring, you know, both in college and in, in high school and being able to help somebody else learn was like, wow, this is, this is really cool. Sure. I could, I could do this. I could do this as job. This would be really cool because yeah. I really enjoyed seeing like trying to explain stuff, something in multiple ways to get someone to understand it. And then also um, when they, uh, they got it, I just like, I just felt like I climbed Mount Everest, right? I just felt like the, the king of the world. Yeah. And I was like, that's cool. You know? Right. No, I agree. I think there are, you know, we talk about, um, you know, career preparation in STEM fields, but um, we don't often think about STEM education as a way of, of thinking about that, right? So we were like, oh, we want people to know that you can be a geoscientist and you can work for chemical companies or you can, you know, like, whatever these, we, we, we want them to know that there are STEM-related occupations that they can go into after they graduate. But we don't include in that, I don't think very often, the idea that they could be science or math teachers. Right. Um, and, and well, they certainly used to, when they get into they, college, that's not encouraged. Well, they used to have these things across the state um, in Pennsylvania called these governor schools. And the governor schools were yeah. – and they had them for lots of professions. So if you were like interested in you know medical fields, there was a governor school for like that. There was a governor school for like STEM-related professions. And, and there was a governor school for teaching. Hmm. And Millersville hosted it. And so it was there. 
until, I don't know, maybe like 12 years ago. And then the, the governor stopped funding it. Hmm. So, you know, and, and so each summer they would bring in, you know, I think it was predominantly 10th and 11th graders um, who they would come on campus and they ran, they, you know, give them a few uh, weeks. I think it was a six week program. They give them a few weeks of, you know, training and then give them, you know, they'd work with uh, like, they almost have like a mini school on campus where they would be working with like younger students and teaching Mm -hmm. them things. So this was like almost like a, you know, for some of the, you know, the students that they were working with, it was a re- either a re- remediation experience. So they were, you know, helping them get, you know, um, learn something they hadn't done well with or something that was, you know, working, you know, for advancement. And so, but they were working as, you know, like junior teachers and, and giving them experiences. Now, I don't yeah. know the research with how well those you know, candidates, those people who were working in the governor's school went off to become teachers. But I mean, having some sort of experience like that can be seminal for, for teacher educators. Yeah, no, I think I would think, I mean, most, most students don't think about high school teacher as a sort of job when they're in high school, right? Cause they're just in high school. So they're like, Oh, these are just people that do this job, but they don't think about it. I don't think so. Something that would give them an opportunity to really, understand some of the the structure and and practice of what a teacher engages in i think you're right would be great and would would recruit people into the field which would be amazing yeah well i i think the other thing it would do is it would give them the ability to start to see what those experiences are going to be like for them as a teacher and they would go they would know okay yeah this is something i'm into or no right because we i had so it was a heartbreaking conversation I had with a student maybe like two weeks ago who's like, yeah, I don't think I'm, I'm he's a senior. This, this guy, this guy's a senior. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to do this. Yeah. Now he had gone through four and a half, four and, you know, three and a, you know, a quarter years of, you know, education at our university. Right. And now he realizes when he's in this internship this year, maybe this isn't for him. Yeah. That's that's an opportunity that was lost at some point along the way for him to be out there and to see, you know, he could have been out there teaching. He could have been out there. And then not that this is, you know, I'm more heartbroken, not for our field and that we're losing someone. I'm looking at it more as this individual didn't find his passion. This is not his passion. Yeah. And he just realized it now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's a little late. Like, it's not 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 late as in like his life he's got so opportunities but there was a missed opportunity someplace along the way where we could have probably provided some experience where he could have come to that realization earlier you know sure and and that i think is another thing that we need to address and if we get these i mean that's another reason why we should be doing the things like getting students out there early and often in schools and having that you know close relationship between what we're teaching at the university and what's happening in K to 12 schools. That's the way that we do it. That's the way we help this students like this, this kid recognize that maybe that teaching is for them or maybe teaching isn't. And yeah. 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 No, I agree. I think it, I think it'd be good. Um, and we don't, I mean, it is, uh, this goes back to our, our fundamental principle that you started with, which is, 
it really is an apprenticeship. It's a thing that requires a combination of practice and analysis of and learning from practice. And so right. you want them to engage in that practice as soon as possible in the process. You don't want them to wait until their junior year. Yeah. And, and so we've kind of like, you know, ignored a lot of the constraints, but I think one of the, one of the other areas that, you know, we have teacher educators, they have to play a role. I think we have to have lots of like coaches, you know, lots of people who are working to help. Like, so not, so we have teacher educators, we have, you know, people out there coaching, not just the, you know, the experienced teachers, but also the new teachers. We, it seems to be like, when you think about like, you know, I, I watched the football team, like our, I was at the football game just recently and our football team, our local football team is pretty small. I think there might be 30 kids in on the football team. Um, many of the students are playing offense and defense. So they're, you know, they're really working their tail end off. There yeah. were 11, there were 11 coaches on the sidelines with them. Yeah. 11. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's a one to three ratio. You know, so each, each coach had the ability to work with like maybe three or four, you know, players at a time. And I was like, wow, you know, and then when you go into a classroom, you know, some teachers are working one to 30, one to more, more than 30. And it's like, you know, yeah, I, I think that we need to have more hands on deck and working in lots of different, you know, um, facets to support not only the students that are in classroom, but also the teachers through all the developmental stages they're going through, you know? Yeah, no, I think, I think that idea of like, well, and you know, like I said, the, I feel like teacher education, that's part of our role is, is like being like a coach, but, but um, coaching is a, is a totally underrated um, area in our, in our field. Right. I mean, and like you say, if you look at, People who are remarkably successful in their field, they almost always have coaches right. uh, throughout their whole career. It's not like Serena Williams stopped having a coach when she started winning major tournaments, right? She had a coach. She had a team of coaches her whole life all the way through. Um, and no offense to any tennis player, teaching is a lot harder than tennis in terms of its complexity, right? Yeah. So so having somebody to coach you in tennis um, is critically important to being successful. Well, that means it must be 10 times more important in, in teaching. So the fact that we do so little of it, that basically we rely almost entirely on teachers to learn by themselves in their own classrooms. Good luck. You know, well, we can talk a little bit over lunch if you've got a minute. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, you know, you're sort of doing your own thing and just hoping that you get better through, you know, your own sort of experimentation, um, without, without a lot of feedback, without a lot of structure. And, you know, we know from lots of research that that's not a very efficient way to improve quality, right? You don't, you don't get better just by practicing. You have to have very focused uh, practice that is guided by somebody who helps you identify your areas of weakness and have you focus on them. And that's, that's not how we develop teachers. No, sir. All right. So what else? Anything else? 
we've waved a lot of magic wands here. Yeah, I think I think we I think we waved our wand out. I think that I think we're good. Um, I mean, I'm sure we could think of other things, but I think we got the big ones. Sure. Um, here, so uh, Ex- extending the you know the experience beyond you know the you know four years that we have teacher candidates, you know, closing the gap between you know schools and you know colleges, and yeah. you know, I think that's a big one. I think you know changing the induction experience. Um, paying. You know, paying, yes, more hands, more hands on deck, you yeah. know, in terms of, you know, coaches, uh, do we mention paying them? Did you see yeah. that? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I thought also like extending into, you know, uh, you know, juniors and, and seniors, 11th and 12th grade to, to yeah. give them experiences that can help them see whether this is a career, you know, help them visualize it, you know, firsthand that this is something that they could do or would want to do. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, all of those are things, you know, we didn't talk about like, you know, just giving anyone a teaching degree, depending on what they've done in their life, you know, oh, <sighs> hey, right. you know, you worked in this field for X number of years, give you yeah. a teaching certification. What the heck? Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah, we don't want that. We do not. No, no, sir. All that right. What be, about that would be bad. What about joys? You have yeah, you have a joy? I have a joy, I think. Um so yeah, since I've been a little under the weather, one of the things I've been doing is, of course, watching a lot of Netflix and these stuff. So, um, so I just sort of binged through. The, I'd seen the beginning of this, but I I sort of ran through the rest of it. So, which is the Sandman, um, which is based on Neil Gaiman, um, his comics from the the eighties and nineties. I think it was maybe they weren't even the eighties, maybe just the nineties. Anyway, they're still active. Like they're still. Pre- yeah, yeah, but yeah. when when did he start? Was I think uh, in the, I think in the nineties. Yeah. yeah, so um, so fantastic long running series by you know Neil Gaiman, one of the greatest comic book slash fiction writers in the world. Um, so they adapted it, and I think there was a lot of trepidation about this because a lot of people really love this comic book series, um, and. And they, I think they did a magnificent job. Yeah. I mean, it really is spectacularly good. Um, and they managed to be incredibly true to the comic, but also adapt it in ways that made good sense. Um, and the guy who plays Sandman is fantastic. And uh, the the supporting cast is great. Um, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's been fabulous. It's such a good show and just, um complex the way that neil gaiman's writing is and um and also just a lot of heartwarming nice stuff in there too so it's um yeah it's great so i strongly recommend the sandman on netflix yeah i i I, we're we're about midway through it it's awesome and it i you know I, i read a lot of it i didn't collect it when i was in you know when I was, when it first came out, um, yeah. but I've read a bunch of it and it's so well done. Some people are like kind of, you know, pooping on it because it's, because they've changed some of the way the characters are represented. Yeah. And I think that just makes it better from my point of view. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's great. I, my joy is I'm going to kind of go in a little bit of a different direction. It's fall in, in, Pennsylvania. So like depending on where Scott and I about like probably two hours uh different. So he's probably seeing lots lots more colors of the oh, leaves yeah. than yeah. than we are down down here. We're further south. Um, but it is awesome. It is awesome, you know, not only 
am I a huge fan of of fall foods like pumpkin spice stuff? I'm not the pumpkin spice everything guy. Like I'm not uh-huh. gonna run to the store and get a pumpkin spice latte or anything like that. But I do like a pumpkin pie or a pumpkin roll or a, mm-hmm. a pumpkin whoopie pie. You know, those are things that like I just can't say no to. <laughs> and so I am just enjoying, you know, breaking out my flannels and which Scott and I are both in flannels right now. It's <laughs> we funny. Are. It's true. Uh, um, and you know, sweatshirts and going out and putting on a, you know, uh, a windbreaker. It is awesome. It is awesome fall to hear the crunching leaves. And if you're someplace in, you know, the, in the United States or the world that doesn't have fall, you know, plan yourself a, a trip to, you know, someplace that does, cause it is, it's a, it's just like a magical time. It is. It's just like one of those times of the, the year that just, you know, I just go outside and I hear the crunching leaves under my feet. It's just like, it's can't help but smile, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's awesome. And yeah, it's always beautiful leaves right out our window. We got a bunch of maple trees that are. And my wife is one of these people who like is always on the look for like, like the perfect leaf, you know, uh, and we'll be walking the dog and she'll be like, hold on. And she'll think like, couple steps back and pick up a leaf and put it in her pocket it's just like uh, all right yeah you do you but it it is like you know it's like finding the four leaf clover you know right finding finding the perfect fall leaf yeah Yeah. very cool so that's my joy fall nice autumn yeah yeah whatever you call it yeah and scott i hope you're feeling better you know thank you sir i hope to be feeling better that'd be nice and we'll catch all of you next time in between see you then bye now